Hello and welcome back to the Hunt Harvest Health Podcast. This is Dr. Hillary Lampers and I am here with my husband extraordinaire, Ryan Lampers. Howdy. We are on episode number 23 called The Other Ryan You've Never Heard Of But You Need to Know. This is a friend of Ryan's and his name is Ryan who lives in Idaho and he is a really amazing western elk hunter. He's he's a great guy that uh that I met a long time ago and he uh he just has figured it out on how to kill big bulls year after year. So I think it'll be great uh folks can kind of hear how he's got it done and we're going to talk about the year that he had this year which was incredible. He uh he had Three different tags, three different states, and he filled them all with some absolute monsters out there. So we'll get to hear those stories. We just got back from Missoula, Montana at the 2017 Backcountry Hunters and Anglers Rendezvous. The Backcountry Hunters and Anglers is known as the BHA, and it has chapters all across the country. And it has a, a national organization that we are members of. And we highly encourage you, if you haven't heard of them or you don't know about them, to go to their website at backcountryhunters.org to learn more about how this group is helping to protect our public lands and helping to keep wild spaces wild for hunters, anglers, and all people who want to be in the great outdoors. We had a great time there. We met so many amazing people. Got to hear, you know, hear from folks that are just conservation-minded folks, hunters, um, everybody telling stories and, and just hanging out real relaxed. It was, uh, it was really cool. Yep. So definitely go check them out and support them. And maybe we'll see you next year at the 2018 is in Boise, Idaho. Yep. Looking forward to that one already. So our big announcement though is train to hunt season is almost here. We're close. We, we got are, Nevada is May 6th. Yep. We are coming right up on Nevada. So doubling down on the training. Yep. On the shooting, on the packing, on the hiking, the running, all that fun stuff. So, uh, yeah, we're, we're almost to it. And yep. it's going to be a short season this year. You know, everything has kind of been condensed from May, uh, June, and then July. The first part of July is nationals. So it is very condensed versus how it usually has been in the past. So we, We've been working with Train to Hunt. Well, you know, we are just friends with Kenton and the great guys that run Train to Hunt. And we, we have wanted to support them from the very beginning. And as you've heard our story before, we really owe where we're at right now to the experience with Train to Hunt and the Train to Hunt family. So we want to help you enter a Train to Hunt. And if you want to support our podcast, you can help us by entering a Train to Hunt. So what that means is we are... Um, we have a promo code that you can go to traintohunt.com and on there you're going to be able to find a link to register for any of the events that are held this year. You can also find the list of events on our website at huntharvesthealth.com. We have a section there where we list um, every location and race in the, the states where they're available. And so if you go to their website and you want to get signed up for the, uh, it's, what is it? What's the cost for a registration, Bob? hundred bucks. hundred bucks a race. Okay. Yep. So $100 for the race. And if you sign up with our promo code, you will get $10 off. Promo code that you want to use when you go to sign up with your registration is HHH10. 
And with that, that gives you 10% off and that $10 off. And that gets you signed up for your first train to hunt. Uh, remember, if you qualify in the top three in whatever age category or division you are in, that qualifies you for nationals. Nationals are July in Colorado, uh, Colorado Grand Junction, outside of Grand Junction, Colorado. Yeah, it's going to be a blast. Yeah, so we'll be there. Uh, we will probably be there whether Ryan um, qualifies or not. I don't, I don't not. see myself getting on the podium this year, <laughs> but, um, but we're going to probably go anyway. Yeah, we'll go. We'll podcast and we'll just hang out with our friends because uh, it's, it's a great family of people. So those are our two announcements. And with that, uh, enjoy this podcast with uh, Western Elk Hunter, Ryan Altus. All right. Howdy, folks. So today I am uh, actually coming back from Missoula, Montana. Uh, I was over at the BHA rendezvous for the weekend with my family. And um, man, I had asked this guy to uh, maybe be on the podcast with me a while back. And, and uh, lo and behold, he actually agreed to it. Uh, <laughs> Ryan Altus. I, I met Ryan a long time ago. I don't even know how many years ago it was. But, uh, gosh, what year was that? that it had to be 2007, probably. So, yeah, it was a long time ago. Um, you seemed a lot smaller back then. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. I was like, I just remember you being a, you know, just like a kid is what stuck out in my head. Oh, I was. Yeah, we uh, we met uh, in some backcountry of, uh, of Idaho. Uh, we were both chasing elk back there. Ryan was up there with his dad, and I was up there with my dad. Um, you know, we, we hunted hunted a lot of the north country but uh um yeah we we got to know each other a little bit back then um haven't really kept in touch too much i've kind of seen what you've been doing through social media and and seeing some of the animals that you've been crushing over the years <laughs> it's pretty impressive you, even even as a kid back then um you know talking to you and your dad i, I was hearing stories of your dad was pretty proud of uh, the animals that you were getting you're getting like you know, a good one here and sometimes two a year, you know, with the way Idaho allows you to do that. And, mm-hmm. and uh, he was always super proud of what, of what you were accomplishing. But, uh, yeah, let's, let's just do a quick intro on, on who Ryan Altus is. Uh, my name is Ryan Altus, uh, lived, born and raised in North Idaho, lived here my whole life. Uh, started hunting, man, since I can remember, I think the first time I was with my dad when he killed an elk, I believe I was about eight years old. Um, pretty much stuck from there. I mean, I was, I was, I was addicted. The, the hooks were set. Uh, I think again, two years, two years later when I was 10, I was with him when he killed another bull. Um, from there, when I turned 12, I couldn't, I couldn't wait to be 12 years old and legally hunting in Idaho. And, uh, it's, it's really been a passion of mine, hunting, fishing, shooting, hiking, anything outdoors. Um, my dad raised me in the outdoors as much as possible. And, him and I spent a greater majority of our summer, spring, and fall just out scouting, chasing elk, chasing deer, bears, turkeys, whatever it was. It's good living, man. Yeah. It's good living. Yeah. And and you're in a great spot for it. Yes. yes. <laughs> We're over here <laughs> in Idaho. I mean, it's a little spooky uh, seeing snow coming down. Uh, we're in April. And, uh, you know, kind of on a side note, it it. It scared me when I woke up this morning. I see snow in the mountains. The first thing I'm thinking of is, uh, uh-oh, 
you know, we, I thought our critters were going to be, you know, safe. I thought we were done with the snow, but I know we're up here in the mountains and, and, uh, all of a sudden we get a new blanket of snow and I, that, that spooks me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially after the hard winter we've had, Yeah, they need a break. They do need a break for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. So you grew up living the lifestyle that, yeah. that some of us have and um, been fortunate to have and, um, you know, obviously like, like me, your dad got you into it at a young age, kind of like you said, set the hooks. And yep. I was real similar in that, in that respect. Uh, you know, I didn't grow up over here, uh, more Washington, but, um, we had a lot of fishing and we did a lot of bird hunting and, uh, wasn't as much big game hunting growing up like, like you were exposed to, but, uh, yeah, it, it's hard to explain, um, you know, what we get, what we got out of that growing up. Um, and how those hooks are set and yeah. it's just like, it's a passion and you just want to do it every chance you mm. get. So, um, so how old are you now? I'm 31. 31. So you're a young buck. Still. Yeah. <laughs> so you were, you were a kid when I, when I met yep. you back then. Cause yeah. that, that was a while back, but uh, actually I think it was before 2007. Cause I think it was before I, I think it was, um, it was, it had to be early 2000s. Yeah. Somewhere in there. But, yeah. uh, but yeah, um, yeah, I, I remember, you know, meeting you guys up there and, uh, gosh, we just run into each other on occasion. We kind of hunted a, a similar spot, but, um, those were the days where the wolves didn't have any effect yet. Mm-hmm. And we had a lot of screaming bulls. Oh, I mean, yeah. We had, we had it pretty good for a while. Um, but, uh, I remember, you know, talking to your dad more, I was talking to him more than I was talking to you back then. Um, you know, when we'd run across each other and, yeah. and one time, uh, I remember coming back, it was almost dark, pushing dark and, uh, rolling through and, and I was coming past your guys you guys had a big old wall tent set yep. up on a ridge and, uh, just rolling through and heading back to, uh, to the trailhead and, and your dad came out and he invited me in. He's, a, he's like, yo, come on in and, you know, say a prayer and we'll have some food. And, uh, you guys had cooked up something. I don't remember what it was. Yeah. It was pretty good though. <laughs> Uh, end of the day. So I sat down with you guys in the tent and, and, uh, had some tasty food and, and got to share some stories and, and, uh, hear from your dad and Mm -hmm. listen to some of his passions and what was going on. None of us had, uh, had stuck a bull yet at that point. Um, but, uh, I do remember that. I do remember sitting down with you guys and having some conversations and, and, um, talking about bugling and talking about calling and strategies and this and that. So that was a blast. That's one thing that stuck in my head back, back then. But, uh, since then we've moved on and, and, uh, covered new areas and, um, but those are the days, those are the good old days of, of Idaho pre-wolf. I know we had so many opportunities. We had it so good. Now we really (laughs) have to work for it. Now it's, it's just gotten harder and, and made us, uh, you know, work so much. It's just different now with, with the wolf situation, the way it Mm. is, but, uh, so, um, get, give the folks that don't know you some of the insight of, of what you've accomplished over the years, because I'm, I'm sitting in your house right now. I'm sitting about a foot and a half away from a giant bull. He's right above me. <laughs> and on one side, I've got another, what is that? A three three thirty three bull. And that was killed in Idaho. Uh, just some monster bulls, man. I got a big giant white tail staring me in the face over here. I had a chance to walk through your house and check out some of the animals that you've taken over the years. And dude, it's, it's unreal. I mean, you've put a lot of time and effort and work into accomplishing, uh, some of these, some of these feats and went out to the shed with you and saw the ones that you can't <laughs> quite stuff into this house. But, uh, oh my gosh, there's, there's some, you know, three thirty, three forty, and higher bulls just sitting out there that, that don't make it into the house. So mm-hmm. that's kind of a testament to how, 
how what the quality is of these animals that, that you're taking so um yeah let's talk about let's talk about what you've done over the years because <laughs> man people need to know this i think when i started this podcast um one of the things that i was excited about was uh j- just knowing some of the folks that i've run into out there like you that uh that are some of the best hunters best folks best hunters the guys that get it done year in year out um they take some of the best animals out there and mm-hmm. nobody hears about them. You know, nobody talks about them. Um, I'm kind of like you, I'm pretty quiet or used to be more quiet. I guess <laughs> I'm talking a little bit now, but, um, you know, just didn't, didn't want to talk or, or share much with folks and, and, um, and every year you're out there and you're taking down some of the top critters, uh, around. And, um, like this year, for example, you took three, was it three, three bulls, three bulls. Yeah. What was the total inches? 1,045 inches. 1,045 inches. All with bow, too. All with the bow. Yep. In one year in three different states. Mm Mm-hmm. Let's go over that. (laughs) People want to know how that happened. Uh, First, I I obviously got really blessed with drawing two incredible tags, one in New Mexico, one in Arizona. Um, I killed a dandy bull here in Idaho, too, but... uh, I mean, it's a, a dandy. It's a what is that? A three? It's another three thirty three bull, bull. Yeah. and it's the smallest of the three that I killed this year. So that's incredible. I mean, I'm extremely blessed. Um, New Mexico was first through that tag. That was an early September hunt. Uh, bulls weren't bugling really that hard uh, at night. They would bugle when I was setting up my tent. They were bugling like crazy, but as soon as the sun would come up, they would shut up. Hmm. Uh, opening day, I heard three bugles, and I didn't hear a bugle for two days after that. So oh. it was, I mean, it was crazy hard hunting. Right. Right. Uh, if I, when I was down there, if I wanted to be frustrated, I told myself I just would have stayed home and hunted Idaho. <laughs> right. 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 The <laughs> I mean, it was, it was crazy hunting down there and it rained every single day, just monsoon. And this is country that you'd never seen before. No, never. I'd never even stepped foot in the state of New Mexico prior to the day before right the night before opener i got down there it was dark and elk season opened the next morning wow i looked on a map just did some kind of scouting i had talked to a biologist uh, and a fishing game officer that were down there just asking questions just about the area what to look for what to know um he kind of pointed me in some some directions and from there i just did the research got on got on maps and just searched just look for places that didn't look like the typical guy would want to go there. Just look for places off the beaten path. And now, when you say maps, are you looking at paper maps? Are you going through Google Earth? Or you got any kind of? No, I I I do a lot of Google Earth, yeah. and um, I use a uh, it's a it's mapper.acme.com. It's a online mapping system. You can switch from a Google Earth image to topographic. Okay, so you can have the same picture. You can have one picture up of a mountain range, and you can click. A satellite or you can click topographic and it stays the same zoom and it just switches from topographic to got it to satellite right, imagery right. so you can instead of google earth where it's just a picture mm-hmm. you can switch from topographic to right to actual satellite a little imagery. more and information it, there for sure yeah and i i'm i love maps i mean i'm i'm, I'm addicted to maps i have a, a wall in my garage that is just a, a giant map that i've oh yeah but just a big paper map that i've so do you together. say that's that's one of the keys to your success is map work i would say yes yeah that with time off i mean i have a lot of time off and i spend all my days off 
right. in the woods scouting. <clears throat> I have screwed up more than I've been successful. <laughs> yeah, that's bound to happen. Yeah. That makes so, you good, though, right? Yeah. You got to have those screw-ups. Yeah, I can... I don't even know how many big bulls that I've screwed up on that I've literally cried. Like, as soon as I screw it up, I cry and... <laughs> no kidding. Just humbled. It. Humbled. <laughs> It's, so so you, when you got down there, um, you'd picked out some really key locations that you felt would work on a map. Mm-hmm. You got down there, hiked in, I'm assuming. Yep. Um, and how many days did it take for you to really figure out the country? And I never figured out the country. Never figured it I out. I spent four days. So it opened uh, early September. I spent the first four days of the hunt in the first area that I had located on a map. I The reason why I picked that area first is it was an area that I thought was good, but I also thought that it was kind of a place where there was going to be people. I wanted to hit the places with people first. And then once those elk kind of got messed with, I was going to leave the areas from the people and go deep either into wilderness areas or just secluded canyons that I'd figured most people weren't going to go. So I just wanted to hit the, hit the, the high traffic areas first, just to kind of get some, my boots on the ground, be around people first, just to get some information. Right. Right. So I ended up camping in a campground with, gosh, there was probably 15 other camps. No kidding. All elk hunters. Um, no, it was, uh, it was Labor Day weekend. Okay. I I believe it was Labor Day weekend. So there was a bunch of people that were just out, you know, on their side by sides and four wheelers and dirt bikes, just riding the roads and such. Got it. Campers. But there was still a few people that were, that were out archery hunting. Hmm. And so what day did you end up? I killed my bull on the fifth day. So fifth day. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Wow. That's, uh, I'm trying to think of the seasons down there in New Mexico that I drew the first tag. That earlier season now, did they give you 10 days, 11 days? Uh, it was the first, I think it was the first through the 14th. I think it was 14 days. It used to be New Mexico used to have three seasons, I believe. Like five or six day windows. Yeah. 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 Right. So and then they they migrated the three seasons into the two seasons. So how did how did that uh, transpire? Like how did that when you finally located this bowl and you saw it? How did it work? Was it a spot and stock? Was it a calling scenario? So it was a total spot and stock. Yeah. I mean, so I'll I'll just kind of rewind a little bit. I spent four days in one area. I did see a really nice bowl. I actually uh, I followed him. I I never got within a thousand yards of him. But I actually followed him into a unit, a bordering unit that I didn't, obviously I couldn't hunt. So I left him, uh, decided that I was just going to pick up my stuff, move almost to the complete other side of the unit and kind of go into the more roadless areas where I didn't think there was going to be people. So that was the evening of the 4th. Midday I packed packed up my camp. Uh, The evening of the 4th I left. didn't have enough time to set up my camp and go for a hike. So I decided I'm just going to set up my, my tent in the dark and I'm going for a scouting trip. So I hiked up a ridge and there was a lot of sign, but it seemed like it was kind of a day or two. Actually, it was probably about a week or so old mm-hmm. um, down there in the New Mexico heat. It dries everything out pretty quick. Oh, gotcha. um, it would rain every day, but the sun would come out and everything would be dry in no time. Hmm. So the sign was a little old. Uh, I, I ended up, I did, uh, I called in an elk, but I had gotten to the top of a ridge and I made some cow calls, didn't hear anything. So I moved, I moved about 80 yards. And when I moved, I heard a, a stick break back behind me. 
I knew it was an elk. I didn't know what it was, but, um, went back there. There were some tracks there. It, it ended up taking off. So I only had 45 minutes or so for a hunt. Uh, got back to my camp, started setting up my tent and had three bulls that were bugling. Once the sun went down, the bulls just started bugling. And, uh, I had three bulls that were bugling. There was two together down Creek from my camp. And there was one up in the draw up above me and they just kind of fed off each other and they ended up bugling all night. But as soon as the sun came up, they shut up. So I opted in the morning to go after the two bulls that were together. And uh, they were only half a mile down from my camp. And I just, right at, right before daylight, I started walking uh, from my camp. I ended up seeing the bull that I killed. He's a typical 7x7. Seven seven. Uh, I ended up seeing, instead of seeing his 4th, 5th, 6th, and 7th, I saw his 5th, 6th, and 7th, and I thought it was his 4th, 5th, 6th. So I thought he was a small 6-point. Right. I never even saw his 4th or down, so I didn't oh, see anything. Gotcha. I just saw that tail end, and I assumed it was the the fourth and fifth. So I'm like, Oh, well, he's not a very big bull. <laughs> so when you went, when you were on this, hunt, was that, what was your expectations or what were you, what was your mindset on? Was it any bull? Was it a six point bull? No, it, it drawing a tag like that. Um, I wouldn't have shot. I, I wasn't going to go home with a small elk. Like I'm, I'm not the person that, you know, if I have a tag, I have to kill something just to go home with something. Right. You know, it's, I know that typically on a typical year, I can at least fill the freezer with, with an elk. So right here in Idaho, right here in Idaho. So I, it was kind of a go bigger, go home. And, uh, I think my minimum there was probably before I went down there, I was telling myself my minimum was about a three thirty bowl. Mm-hmm. And then the first four days, I told myself it was a 300 bowl. <laughs> Isn't that crazy how that, so, <laughs> how that happens? <laughs> four days. And I'm like, ah, oh, I'm. It's it's going down. It's yeah, going down. Yeah. And then uh yeah, I ended up seeing that bull, thought he was I didn't even think he was a three hundred bull. Ended up uh he shut up as soon as the, the sun came up and just I got in front of him. I he was in a, just a small little draw canyon. I mean it was probably eighty yards from the top to the top of this little canyon, just a little tiny draw. Hmm. And he was feeding right into it, and I just basically jogged up and around to get in front of him. I was trying to get in front of him, and I thought I was going to peek over this little rise, and he's going to be right down in the bottom, 50-yard shot, no problem. And he ended up going into that canyon and turning and coming straight towards me. So I didn't even get to the top, and I looked up, and I just see his antlers coming up over the rise. So I just sat there and waited, and he fed perfect into an opening at 18 yards, and no kidding. Yeah, couldn't have worked out any better. Oh man, no kidding. Gosh, I, I'm never that lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I never have him feed right to me. Uh, I had my I had my dad helping me this year. Though, yeah, so. yeah, for sure, for sure. And is that is that something that you've kind of uh, you know had happen to you before? I mean, I know it's so different just the topography here in Idaho, mm-hmm. what, what you've been accustomed to versus that open dry country down in New Mexico. Um, did you go down there expecting to have to do a spot and stock or did you go down there more of like, uh, kind of what we do up here in Idaho with a uh, more calling and, uh, get them to come in. I was kind of open-minded. I, I, I was ready for both. Yeah. I knew that it was early. So there was definitely a possibility of them not talking and being a spot and stock type hunt. But I also knew that, you know, it's, I mean, it's 24 hour drive from my house. So right. it, totally different environment. I didn't know if their rut was different. 
So I was like, maybe they're earlier. I don't know. So yeah. maybe they're going to be in the full rut. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So when you ended up, so 18 yards. Yeah. Um, nice clean shot on him. Uh, was it, and it was just you? It was just me, yeah. So how did the pack out go? <laughs> A lot of work. But yeah. How <laughs> I far did, were you in? Actually, wasn't that far. So okay. um, I got really blessed with, it was, it, it was a half an hour with meat on my back down to my truck. I did that five times. Yep. So I shot him, gosh, I shot him 45 minutes, half hour after sunup mm-hmm. or after daylight. So it was just after the sun had came up and he actually jumped my string at, I didn't have a reed in my mouth cause I wasn't expecting him to come over the rise yet. Right. He totally surprised me. He didn't have a reed in my mouth. So I used my mouth as a kind of a mew to stop him and he pinned me i mean i was already at full draw waiting for him but as soon as he stopped he knew exactly where i was he was looking at me and he's like there's that's not right that that yeah. sound did not come from an elk yeah yeah so as soon as i let my arrow go he whirled uh, he was perfectly broadside when i shot and he actually whirled i was downhill from him and he whirled with his head downhill so he was kind of facing me a little bit so my shot still hit him perfect behind the shoulder but it ended up being a little more quartering too by the time my arrow got there so he turned and he ran. He ran about 50 to 70 yards, and I watched him bed down. And I pulled out my video camera, watched him bed down, everything. Um, sat there for five minutes just watching him. He just looked. He looked ill. He looked sick. I knew he was going to die. <clears throat> and I made a dumb move while he's sitting there, and he's just rolling his head around. You can just tell how uncomfortable he is. He's like, ah, this is not good. And I took two steps to try and get a, just a different angle to see him, to watch him, and he pinned me. Heard looked something. straight down at me, and I mean, he's you know, 50, 75 yards away, and he looked straight down at me. I'm in full camo behind brush, and he looked through the brush, stands up, and slowly walks away. I, mm. Oh, no. I, that's that's a bad the, feeling. The sick feeling <laughs> in the bottom of your gut. <laughs> yeah, I get it. So how far did he go after that? Uh, he only went probably another 40 or 50 yards. Oh, okay. Better but back I, down. Yeah. yeah. I, I gave him another four, four and a half hours. I've heard too many stories. I've been with too many friends, myself included, where someone, you know, one lungs a bull and six hours later they jump it. They're tough animals. They are crazy tough. It's unreal. I think how many mistakes are made. I don't know if you call it a mistake, but circumstances that have led to that where they go bed down and then they get bumped that one time Mm -hmm. and whatever it is, they've got this extreme, you know, will to survive and they can go and go and go and go. And sometimes that's at that point where even on a good hit, Mm -hmm. gosh, they can just cover some ground and just lose you. Yeah. Right. And even at the shot, I still, I didn't think that he had flinched enough to make it quartering two at all. And, but it ended up being yeah. pretty quartering too. It ended up coming out, you know, at about the last rib right, on the opposite side. Well, a half hour back to the truck, five trips still. Mm-hmm. There's no easy way, no matter no. how far away. It doesn't have to be that far. I mean, it's, it's just, a it lot was of, steep. Was yeah, it? Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of meat. How much, uh, how much meat did you get off that bull? I got 318 off that bull. 318. Yeah. Wow. That's all boned out meat. I'd, That's a big bull. Yeah. That's a big body bull. I know yeah. we've we've taken bulls that are two seventy five to that three hundred and mm-hmm. those are big bodied bulls. Yeah. So extremely most of the Idaho bulls, if 
if you get a, I think we've kind of figured if you get a five-year-old bull and you do a good job of cleaning the meat, you should get at least 300 pounds in North Idaho. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, my buddy Luke, their family, obviously they've been hunting up here since the sixties, but uh, they've gotten two bulls that, that boned out 400 pounds. Wow. Anything over 350, if you bone it out is a big bull. Yeah. A big bull. Yep. Yep. If you scrape it, scrape everything. Yeah. Every I, last scrap off. I there. take everything. I mean, when it's done, it looks like it just left the butcher. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. So that was, now was that, was that your first bull? Was that the first bull of the season? Yes. That was. Yeah. Okay. And what came up after that? Was it Idaho? Idaho was next. Yeah. Okay. Let's hear that one. Let's hear that story. 24 hour drive home from New Mexico, two days of cutting up meat by myself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhat miserable, but worth every second of it. Um, I I only hunted in Idaho for probably, uh, I think I only hunted for five days, I want to say, four, four or five days. I had already taken most of September off because I thought I was going to be down in New Mexico. And then I ended up coming home on the 6th because okay. I shot my bull on the 5th. So, so you had some extra days to burn in Idaho. I had some extra bur- days to burn in Idaho, so when I was done cutting up meat, it's like, well... I have I have an archery tag, so I might as well go out and play. Had a pretty hard time the first couple days. I did end up finding the bull that I the bull that I killed. I found him, I think, a day prior. Um, I was in there. The wind just wasn't right. I had a five point that came in on me, and he ended up spooking, and which pushed the bull that I ended up killing. It pushed him away. Uh, so I gave them. I don't think I went back in there the next day. Maybe I did go in there the next day, but um, walking down the ridge, and this bull was bugling like every 20 to 60 seconds. Looking back on it, there was another bull down there because I I was calling my way down the ridge and kind of half sneaking, figuring out what they were doing, just trying to listen to see if there was a herd down there and just trying to mimic them more or less. And, uh, uh, yeah, he was just bugling like crazy. And finally he just wouldn't come in. And I, so I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to just kind of start working my way down that direction. Sure. So he ended up getting in a fight with that other bull. So, but it only lasted maybe 10 seconds. So it was short, but I'm like, okay, so there's two bulls down there. I thought this bull was just really fired up, but it ended up being two bulls that were pissed off at each other. So they were only bugling maybe every two minutes each, but. Every minute there was a bugle, but it ended up being one was just going crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So I got down, uh, I don't think I called for maybe 200 yards and then I got down there where I was 150 yards away or so, something like that. And I, every once in a while I was making some soft cow calls and just moving towards them, trying to, trying to get a different angle on them, trying to see them because they were kind of in some open timber. And, uh, I ended up the craziest thing I was calling he wouldn't come in. I broke a stick. I stepped on a stick, made the stick pop, and he turned and came straight up to me. Absolutely perfect. I shot him at 11 and a half yards. Hmm. Man. I, I took a dumb shot. I've, I've always told myself that I would never take a front-on shot. Right. But he stopped at 11 and a half yards, picked his head up, and he pinned, I mean, he, another one, he pinned me. He knew right. exactly what I was, and it I didn't even have a chance to think and my finger hit the trigger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, he, so was that going through your mind, that frontal shot? Like, 
this is like a perfect scenario to actually attempt it. Well, that's that's what I, I I've always told myself I won't take that, but if I did take it, I wanted it to be, you know, under 15, 20 yards. Like right. I I don't think it's a far shot cuz there's right. such a small hole that's guarded by that just big rib cage that right. if you miss that rib cage like I did, you don't go into the there's you don't go into the chest cavity. Right. So my arrow hit just off of that hole right here. And it went all along the rib cage. It followed the outside of the rib cage underneath the skin, underneath, and it poked out by his stomach, by his back leg. So it never entered the chest cavity. Got it. So luckily, he st- I cow called as soon as he, I had a reed in my mouth that time, thankfully. <laughs> he took off, and I cow called a few times, and he stopped at 35 or 45, 35, 40 yards. And it did a perfect double long shot on there. So Otherwise, I don't know that I would have right. found him that day even. Wow. Wow. So I got super lucky, very blessed on that one that he stopped again. No kidding. I mean, yeah, literally, you... as soon as my as soon as soon my release went off, I was like, no, 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 no. Don't take that, Ryan. Don't do this. <laughs> right. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible. You got that second shot yeah. off after having an arrow stuck mm-hmm. through him, that first one. So then how'd that second shot go? It was double lung, double right behind the shoulder. It was right where I wanted it to be. Um, I actually got that whole hunt on film, okay. so I'd had a camera on my head, and uh, I I kind of screwed up on the placement of the camera. The camera is right behind my bow, mm. but you can see him coming up, and he's bu- he bugles right at eleven and a half yards, so right. he just screams in the in the camera, and it's it's awesome. But all you can see is kind of the outline of his rack because his body's being covered by my bow, but. Yeah, the second shot went right behind the shoulder, right where I wanted it to go, and he only made it maybe 20 yards, and he started stumbling really bad, then he fell down, then he got up, and he started stumbling, then fell down, and then he didn't get up again. Right. <clears throat> now, now this hunt <clears throat> is probably one of your typical haunts that you've got around here. How far back were you? Uh, that one I was probably three miles back three in. Three miles back yeah. in. Another solo hunt? Yep. Just you and your camera Just and your me bow? And, me, my camera, and my bow. <laughs> <laughs> I see a theme here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so then, uh, so that was probably, did you call anybody? Yeah. Help you come yep. get that one out? Yeah, I had, yeah. A, had a buddy come help me. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, I packed half of it out by myself and then had him come in and help me with the other half. Now you drew Arizona. Then I drew Arizona, Yes. Another state? Had you been in Arizona before? I had been to Arizona, but I'd never been hunting. I had some friends that lived down there that I visited. Yeah. Yeah. But it was summertime, you know, springtime. We'd go to concerts. That was the only time that I'd ever been in Arizona was for... Had you been building points to draw a future tag in Arizona? Okay. Yeah. So you draw Arizona. Mm Mm-hmm. How'd that one, <laughs> how'd that one pan out? We've already got two bulls down. Now, what was the score on that, that Idaho bull? That was a three, three thirty three, three thirty three and four eights, I believe. Okay. And now we're, uh, you've got two bulls down. New got Mexico, a, uh, the green score officially grossed was three sixty nine and four eights, I believe. Yeah. I just call it three seventy. It's so. three seventy <laughs> all day long. I saw that bull. Holy smokes. That thing's incredible. Yeah. It's just a really beautiful rack. Yeah. Just a perfect bull. It's got 56 inch main beams. So yeah. Yeah. That, that helps that a lot. Is, yeah. It's super impressive. Yeah. So now you've got two bull down, two bulls down. Mm-hmm. The freezer's pretty fat. Yep. You've got a third tag in your pocket. You got another long drive. I'm assuming you drove another 20 hours. Another 20 hour drive yep. down to, to uh, AZ. Yep. All right, let's hear it. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
So that hunt actually was the hardest hunt that I've ever been on in my life. I, I, man, I struggled. We, I went down there with two of my buddies. Um, I think it was a 12 or 14 day hunt. No, a 14 day hunt. Cause I ended up killing my bull on day 13, I believe 13 days of all day long grunting, hiking, going as far as I could see an elk, but noisy, loud country that just did not everything, everything down there has thorns. Everything bites you. Everything sticks you. I've heard it's a frustrating hunt, <laughs> yeah. but similar to like, uh, I think guys that get that coos deer craze, um, the hardness of it, the toughness of it, guys want to keep going back. Yeah. You know, even when they're not successful, they, it, it seems like, uh, you know, especially late season guys that go down to AZ, they, they get this, this craving to keep doing it year after year, mm-hmm. um, successful or not, even though it's, it's one of the hardest, I think. So, um, I'm curious what's going through your mind. You've, you've got two giant bulls down. Did that make you want to go uh, like bigger or you'd be comfortable just settling on a decent six point bowl going down there. What, what was going through your head as you're driving down there thinking, no, I, what am I going yeah. for on this one? I told myself, I, cause I obviously my whole, you know, my, with my dad passing away this last year, um, I have a bunch of family that relies on the meat. So mm-hmm. I, I, I knew that it would get put to, uh, you know, get put to good work. I mean, sure. I have lots of people that would, definitely enjoy the meat. So, I, you know, I wasn't, you know, 370 or mm-hmm. nothing, but I wasn't, you know, just a decent six point. So I, I went down there with the still wanted a challenge. I still wanted a challenge. I still wanted a big bull. Right. Um, we went down there. I mean, the, the first day we saw, I saw two bulls together that were 350, 360 bulls and ended up dedicating almost my entire time to those two bulls. And I saw them uh, about every three or four days I'd see him. And, uh, I dedicated my, basically my, my two weeks down there to those two bowls. And it came so close a couple different times, came was to it? full draw a couple different times and just scenarios happened where things would just mess up. Another, I've heard the wind seem, is really bad down there. I have basically. never had bad wind like Arizona wind. Yeah. That, I would be, <laughs> there was one time. So my buddy Adam ended up killing a bull. So he was dedicated to me as a spotter. So he would get a mile away and he would just glass the entire mountain range that I'm on. He's like, all right, come over to the third ridge. You got two bulls that are down there. Go after those. So in the mornings, I would be coming up on the backside of the ridge. These elk are 500 yards over the backside of this ridge. Now, granted, we haven't showered in a few days. <laughs> sure. A little extra stank. Yeah. Off you boys. But uh, I'd be over the backside of the ridge from these elk and he's he would... Tell me over the radio, I don't know what you did, but they're running. And I'm over the backside of the ridge, and my wind is going the opposite direction of these elk, and I can't figure it out. Granted, it was kind of swirling a little bit, but right. I there were so many days where I got so frustrated that I had no clue how I screwed up. I don't know what happened. The wind just didn't like me. <laughs> no. Didn't like any of us. Yeah, I've heard that. I talked to uh, another guy that that's hunted it a few times, and that's kind of the one thing that he comes away with it every year is uh, he's cursing the wind, mm-hmm. the swirling wind yeah. down there late season. So yeah. So how do so obviously those two bulls are not the bulls that you ended up no settling on. Nope. Couldn't end up sealing the deal on those two. No, bulls. no. Right. I ended up uh, about I think it was on day number ten. 
I think it may have been one of the bulls. I'm not positive. Um, there was a, just a, a, a really nice six point. I figured him to be about a 320, 330 bull. And, but I only had a pretty fast chance to really visualize his horns and know that he, if he was a shooter or not. And I just said, yep, he's a big six point. So I, he ended up being a little further than I thought. No, excuse me. He ended up being a little closer than I thought. So I shot high. I hit him in the spine and he fell, got up and it, kind of his back legs weren't working that well. I put another arrow on shot right underneath his belly, completely missed him. He got up and he took off and ran like nothing ever happened. I mean, he was kind of stumbled for a little bit. I followed his tracks the entire, the rest of the day, found my arrow broken off. There was maybe an inch and a half of blood, um, back from where my broadhead broke off. There was only an inch inside the of a shaft inside the elk with the broadhead little tiny bit of blood on the arrow nothing (laughs) and i followed little tiny drops of blood for i think i probably went at least three quarters of a mile to a mile following just his tracks right ended up getting into a place where he mixed in with some old tracks couldn't find out where he went and he wasn't he never laid down he wasn't acting like he was mortally wounded i mean obviously Hit him in the spine. If penetration. They, if they don't die right there, yeah, they're probably going to be okay. I mean, there's unless you hit one of those arteries that are underneath the spine, which I obviously didn't. Right. So that kind of had me pretty down. <laughs> Can imagine. Yeah. This is ten days in. That's ten days in. Yeah. 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 So that was my my first at this point real you're opportunity. That was my chance. Yeah. I'm oh, guessing. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, after 10 how days of... How many more chances can I get? I just had that one opportunity after 10 days. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And how much time had you allotted yourself on this hunt? Uh, I think I had 18 days off. Right. So I think the... If I, I don't know. The, I think the season was 14 or 15 or 16 days, something like that. So I had two days on each side of... Gotcha. Yep. ...of uh, the hunt for drive time. Yep. Okay. That's smart, adding those two days at yeah. the end. Because how many days does it come down to like that last day? Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> it almost did, too. And if you got to be back for work the following day after the season closes and you and you arrowed your bull, I mean, then you're just in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not gonna, you're not going to get that thing out or you're going to be uh, fired. I don't know. Yeah. So, all right. So, how did it, it go from there? Uh, a couple days later, we chased some more bulls. We got into one canyon that we found. There was a pretty good amount of bulls there. It it was the nastiest thorny mess, but there was a, a good amount of bulls there. We went in there, I believe it was two days before I killed my bull. And uh, yet again, the wind got me every single time. I would be walking up the bottom of the draw and bulls 500 yards up would be running for no Apparent reason besides the wind. <laughs> yeah. So it must be making like big swirls uh, that you're just not able to track. Yeah. 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 I mean, the bulls, I'm going after bulls that are, so if I'm looking up this canyon, I'm going after these bulls that are up on the right and there's bulls up on the left that just take off running. So, I mean, with the sun shining on the hillside, I I was like, oh, that was definitely the wind because, you know, the wind, the wind's going up with the sun there. Right, but, right. I mean, they would take off running and the bulls on the other side of the canyon would perk up and... Hmm. What what are they doing? 
Granted, they didn't run for that, but as soon as I get over on this side, then the wind switches, and I blew every single elk out of that entire canyon. I never even got within 150 yards of an elk that day. <laughs> and is it? And is this glassable? I mean, easily glassable country, or is it a little thick? It's thick, that- but it's pretty glassable. Yeah. I mean, the elk can hide really, really easy because the the brush doesn't look that high, but once you get in it, it's you right. know chest high to above your head high. So th- they hide pretty well. I mean. We sat up on a ridge top and saw like two or three bulls, and then by the end of the day, I mean, we were seeing a, a pile of bulls mm-hmm. in certain areas where they just weren't showing. So it's pretty thick stuff. Right. But uh, we gave that day one day break. I believe it was one day break after we, uh, uh, after I spooked everything out of there. <laughs> <laughs> we went back in there, and uh, there was one bull that my buddy Adam had seen. And he said it was like a 310, 320 bull. I'm like, all right, that's, it's day 13. Let's go. <laughs> Good enough, right? Good enough. So he started directing me up this wash. And uh, I get maybe 50, 80 yards out of the, the creek bed. And he's like, hey, there's another bull. He's closer and he's bigger. I'm like, perfect. Sounds good to me. He's like, he's a little broken, but I'm like, I don't care how big. He's like, I think he's probably a 330 bull. I'm like, perfect. Yeah. Sounds good to me. So he directed me right to him, got me. He thought I was going to be about 50 yards away for a shot. I ended up being about 120 yards away. So it wasn't close enough for a shot. The bull worked over a rise. I snuck down, snuck down into the wash, came up the other side, and got right up to the ridge and saw him, and he was 40 yards away feeding just right in the brush, just right over the other side. And I sat there for 10 minutes. Uh, my buddy Adam was uh, had a phone scope on my spotting scope. Mm-hmm. And I had the camera on my head, so I have two angles of film this whole time, which is pretty awesome. No kidding. And uh, uh, the bull, after 10 minutes of standing there, 40 yards away, he's just feeding him, just watching him feed. And he's, you know, just, just watching him. It's so cool. And he would be feeding, and then he would just instantly stop. He'd be making a bunch of noise, and he'd just stop for about 10, 15 seconds. And then you go right back to feeding. So you had to plan steps or movement. He, he wouldn't just kind of like slowly, it was just, just like an instant stop. After 10 minutes, he finally turned, gave me a broadside shot. I shot. I ended up hitting him a little bit low, but it worked great. He went maybe 80, 100 yards and piled up, got the fall on film and everything. Oh, perfect. Through the spotting scope, you can see the elk just kind of pick his head up, and then he just tips over and just rolls right right down through some brush. Nice. Wow. Man. And that bull ended up grossing 341. 341. And he has a bunch of broken tines, too. So he was yeah. close to 360. Yeah, again, that is such a nice-looking bull. And, and we were kind of looking at those daggers that have both sheared off yeah. the top there and just kind of guesstimating, like, what what it would have been if, mm-hmm. if he would have still had those. And I think he'd, how many, he broke off, like, four time, four different times, yeah. right? And he's yeah. still 341. Yep. Yeah, what a bull. Incredible. And yeah. So... Three bulls down at this point. I mean, what's going through your head? You have to be pretty <laughs> elated at it's this point. Like, how? Pretty, I mean, pretty overwhelming. Yeah. Especially after the year that I had. Yeah, a, tell a me about that. You've such gone, highs and lows. Yeah, you've, you've gone through a tough year, yeah. for sure. And to have it kind of work out, you know, through your hunting season like mm-hmm. it did, you know. Tell me about that. What was going through your head through that entire season after what you went through? Well, um kind of backing up a little bit my dad got diagnosed with uh, colon cancer that had metastasized to his liver they had a seven centimeter uh, tumor on his colon and a 10 centimeter tumor on his liver and 
the doctors in January said it's not operable. Uh, go on vacation, spend some time with your family, try to eat healthy, pro- postpone this, but there's nothing that we're going to do. They said it's pretty inevitable. Not believing that, my dad has always been so healthy. I was like, there, my dad's going to beat this. There's no problem. Right. Like, right. He's going to kick it. And my dad's always been that kind of guy, the fighter, and <clears throat> always in great shape, keeps up with me in the hills. And six months later, it actually, uh, he succumbed to the, to the cancer, passed away June 4th. Um, the last few weeks of his life, he sat the whole family down. And one of the things that he wanted me to do was he wanted me to take, he had just gotten a new gun and a new, uh, bow. So he wanted me to take his new Matthews and his new gun this year and, and use them in the hunting season. He had planned on, you know, he knew that I drew the New Mexico and Arizona tag. So he was like, Oh, I'm going to kick this and I'm going to go with you. I'm right, going right. to call for you down there. So, sure. so I obviously wasn't able to take him on though. So I took his bow and I ended up harvesting all three of these bulls with Gosh. my dad's bow. That's unreal. Yeah. That is so cool. So he, he I, I know he had a, a part in all of this. So. He had to, yeah. yeah. I mean, just, you know, some of the scenarios that you were faced with there, it's like, uh, you know, certain things happen for a reason, right? Mm-hmm. Had to be had to be definitely be looking down on you for that. Yeah. But, uh, man, yeah, that would be one proud father to see yeah. what, you, what you did this year for sure. Yeah. So, gosh, I, can't, I, I can only imagine um, – you know, I, like I said, I'd, I'd met your dad, um, in the Hills and I, I, you just, just talking to him and, and, uh, seeing how, how passionate he was about, you know, the area where we were in and, and elk hunting and, mm-hmm. and, uh, guy just loved to talk elk and, and you could see that's what he lived for. So yeah, it's, uh, just a great guy. I, I was fortunate to meet him back in the day and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and similar to my dad, you know, um, just a you know, obviously what he did for you is what my dad has done for me. Yeah. And that's developed this passion and, and just, you know, incredible, um, you know, desire to want to be out there and doing these things and work hard. He obviously created a, a work ethic in you and, mm-hmm. and, uh, to be able to accomplish these things that are not, let's face it, they're not easy. Yeah. <laughs> they are not easy. Um, and I know you, you and your dad spent a lot of times, you know, packing meat out of the hills and, mm-hmm. and, uh, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah pretty cool very blessed to have the dad that i did that showed me the things that he did and right raised me where i'm at and right yep yeah it's um i mean like i like i mentioned before um so glad i got to meet you you know back when i did and and then kind of follow you and see what you've been doing uh it's and and what i've always thought is one of the hardest places you know you got opportunity this year to go see new mexico and see arizona um guys that can get it done in Idaho, North Idaho here where you're at. Um, that's a special kind of elk hunter, man. <laughs> that's a different breed. I mean, that is hard. I mean, yeah, yeah, you can be successful here and there, but to, to get it done year after year, which you have done, um, I can testify to that. I was out in your woodshed, the woodshed of antler, uh, and saw, <laughs> and saw some of the, all the bulls and, you know, you can put a date on every one of them and going back and mm-hmm. it's just year after year and just some incredible, you know, North country, Idaho is, it's tough, you know, it's calling, it's, it's thick, you know, we got predators now, um, people everywhere, people everywhere, <laughs> social uh, media, social media, <laughs> and, you know, uh, Brush bulls aren't known to be giants. I mean, there's some yeah. giants, but uh, but they're few and far between. Yeah. 
And so, yeah, going, going out there, it's like, how in the world? I mean, obviously you've got some secrets that you don't want to share, (laughs) but, uh, what do you, uh, attribute all this success to? I mean, just hard work. I, I think it's just spending time in the woods. I mean, I, it, it's not like I, every time I go out in the woods, I'm killing something. I mean, I have 15, 20 encounters typically that go south right. for every one encounter that's like, okay, that went well. I right. love that one. That one went, that one went <laughs> great. So, I mean, I'm just, I'm spending the time putting the odds in my favor. Yep. Just taking days off in September. I mean, I, I, I'm blessed to have an amazing job where I can take a lot of time off. Yeah. And my addiction is elk hunting, archery elk hunting mainly. So that's where a lot of my days goes. And you're spending a lot of time in the off season, obviously, yeah. you know, this time yeah. of year, um, we're in April and you're at getting out there. I'm sure you're probably, uh, not real happy that I swung in here today. <laughs> took up your time. I think you'd <laughs> be okay. out there it's on snowed, some ridge. So. <laughs> <laughs> you'd be out Everything's there uh, right. with the glass on some ridge somewhere, probably turning up some tines, but, yeah. uh, but, uh, yeah, it sure seems like, uh, you, you really spend the time and get after it. And I've talked about that before when folks ask, you know, what is it? What's that secret? And it's, it's really hard to put a finger on because, um, you know, I think, I, I think it is time. It's, it's spending the time, yeah. whether it's a little bit of time in the off season or having a job that, uh, allows you to spend more time than others, mm-hmm. putting yourself in these great positions. But, um, then you got to have the time to make sure that everything works out. The wind is going to hit. You're going to have a day in that time frame where the wind isn't screwing you up. Um, you know, as good as you are at elk hunting, you could have gone down if you had had 10 days, which most people look at 10 days and think, holy cow, I should be able to get it done in 10 days, right? But you could have had 10 days yeah. as good as you are, and you might have came home with nothing. Mm-hmm. But it's having that time and, and um, um, having all that exper- experience over the years of knowing that eventually it's going to happen. I know, I know when I'm out there now, especially with elk and I know how fast it can just like turn over, like all of a sudden you're sitting on that hillside five minutes ago, you're down, you're tired. You're thinking it's never going to happen. What am I doing out here? I could be back, you know, with the family and I could be doing this or that. And, uh, what's, what's three, four more days going to do of uh, just kind of, is it just going to be going through the motions? And then, Five minutes goes by and, and a bull came screaming in and you arrowed him and now you're sitting there waiting for yep. to go look and see what what's going on and it happens so many times especially in the elk woods um and especially in you know idaho here where uh at least for me it's always been a collin scenario i haven't done a whole lot of spot and stock here but yeah uh, yeah i haven't deep, either really deep Not woods idaho. you kind of expect uh well, you you have to have them to come in on you, you know, in a Colin situation because uh, let's face it, it's it's thick. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's real thick <laughs> yeah. around here. So, um, man, I mean, think back. You, you you gave me a cool story. I I don't know if anybody else has heard this story, but uh, you pointed to a rack out on the wall out there, and you said uh, um, that bull got killed, not by me. Mm-hmm. So let's hear that story because <laughs> you've got that rack in your garage. Yep. Yeah. Uh, this was, uh, I want to say 2012, maybe some 12 or 13. I was hunting in Montana, uh, spike camped three miles back in 
I'm solo by myself, spike camp by a little creek. And uh, each morning I would just head out of camp and just hike up a ridge. And those were, I mean, even in 2012, 13, there were still, I would hear 100 bugles in the morning. It was just, it was amazing hunting in western Montana then. And uh, every morning, every evening, I was getting into elk. And if I wasn't getting into them, I was hearing them. I mean, there were just seemed like there was elk on every ridge in every canyon. <clears throat> One morning, I left camp before dark and hiking up a ridge, and a bull piped off quite a ways up there. But it was about uh, maybe twenty minutes after light, and uh, did doing some calling, but I could hear some cows. So I'm they're kind of off to my up and off to my left. So I'm just going straight up because I knew the wind was probably going to start switching soon and start heading up. So I didn't want to be directly underneath them. So I'm kind of working my way around them. And I ended up getting about a hundred yards away from the cows and the cows knew something wasn't right. And they turned and went down, but the bull happened to be closer to me. And, uh, when, when his cows turned and went down, he knew something wasn't right. He wasn't going to follow them. So he turned and went straight away. And I was about 40 or 50 yards away from him. And I came to full draw, and he looked like about a 330 clean six-point, just a beautiful bull. Came to full draw, and he's facing straight away from me, and I'd cow call a couple times, and he would stop, and he would only turn his head. He wouldn't turn broadside. He didn't know what was up, what was up, but he just knew something wasn't right. So he would stop, and he would turn his head completely around and look at me, but he wouldn't turn his body. I'm like, if I only I had a rifle. <laughs> no kidding. No kidding. So he ended up working his way over the ridge. I put my arrow away. I followed him, called. Uh, I chased him for probably a half a mile or more and finally got to a point where I decided there's no way that this bull is going to let me catch up to him or come into any calling. I mean, he kept that 200 to 250 yard range between us the entire time. If I'd stop, he would stop. If I jogged, he would keep the same pace and he just kept that you must have smelled really bad i i probably smelled terrible <laughs> <laughs> but he was still bugling i mean he'd bugle every he was bugling every 15 to 20 seconds because i kicked him away from his cows he wasn't he didn't like it but he knew something wasn't right so he wasn't coming in so i finally pouring sweat from chasing this bull sit down and i'm just pulling out a snack eating a granola bar and a bull bugles back where we had just come from I'm like, oh, okay, there's another bowl. Hopefully this bowl will play. So I kind of start finishing up my snack, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to get my stuff ready, and I'm going to head that direction because I could care less about this bowl anymore because he doesn't want anything to do with me. So I start kind of zipping up my pack, and that bowl bugles again less than a minute from the last time, and he's almost half the distance that he was towards me from the first time he bugled. So I literally didn't even put my pack on. I just pulled out an arrow and I knew he was coming. And I just look up and I see over the ridge, I see these this rack just bouncing up and down, jogging, coming straight towards me. And he comes down into the creek. I lose him when he goes into the creek and then he comes out of the creek, just rack coming straight towards me jogging. And I'm like, oh, he's coming. Perfect. I, I was like, he's Perfect coming to scenario, me. Because yeah. <laughs> I was calling the whole time, you know, trying to get this other bull to talk to me. I'm like, oh, he's coming to me. I'm going to shoot this bull. So I came to full draw and I, he's maybe 40 yards away something like that and he's just jogging straight towards his other bull i cow call i cow call had no care in the world never even slowed down never looked at me i even went hey 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 trying to just get him to like whoa what was that right, try and stop right. no care in the world that i was there had no care in the world straight down towards this other bull and i mean 15 seconds after he left my view you could just hear the racks just clashed together and it was like echoing through the canyon it was so loud 
So I put my, put my backpack on, getting everything ready. I put my arrow away, and I'm like, I'm just going to move towards them. So I start moving towards them, and I get in the draw. They're still fighting. I mean, they're you can hear that they're you can hear they're hitting trees. They're just it sounded like they were breaking every tine off of their rack. It was so loud. And I get just over the rise from where they're fighting. And one of the bulls starts bugling and working his way downhill. But I can still hear this one bull that's right near the fight scene. That sounds like he's rubbing a tree. And I'm like, okay, well, that's kind of weird. But I'll just go after this bull that sounds like he's rubbing a tree. I figured he got in a fight and he won, pushed this other bull down. And this other bull's bugling as he's leaving like he got his butt whooped. Right, right. So I'm like, okay, this bull's sitting here rubbing a tree. I knock an arrow and I get over the rise and I'm like, and it's in the lodgepole timber that you can see 100 yards. I'm like, okay, this something's not right because he's 50 yards away. And I can see 100, but I can't see him. I have no clue where he's at. And I sit there, and I'm kind of moving around a little bit, trying to get a different angle. I'm like, what in the world? And I see an antler laying on the ground. And then he picks his head up, and he's picking his head up and moving his head around. And when he's moving his head around, he's rubbing a tree. That's the only thing that he could move was his head. Everything else was paralyzed. He ended up, he was on the downhill side of this fight. You could follow the fight scene from where it started uphill. This The bigger bull pushed this bull backwards downhill to where he ended up rolling on the ground. There was trees all through this fight scene that had the bark shredded off of them. Anytime they'd run into a tree, the bark was just shredded. There was gouges in trees. And he ended up rolling this bull and pinned him up against two trees. And he just... Must have backed up Gordon, backed up Gordon, backed up Gordon. I found over 20 gore holes in this bowl when I walked up to him. I walked up to him. The only thing he could move was his head and neck. And there's, like, just chunks of guts that were sticking out of holes. He had teeth broken out. His lower lip was split down in half underneath his chin. He had gore holes everywhere. His shoulder blade had a, when I ended just up. Just got whooped. He got straight whooped. And the two trees that he was pinned against, the bark was shredded on the trees from the tops of the other bull that just, he was not happy. But I think he took his aggression out on this bull. Right. When he was thinking it was me, you know. Right. <laughs> it should have been me. Right, right. <laughs> he thought this other bull was the one that pushed him off, but it ended up being me. So um, I was standing over top of this bull as he's breathing. He's got his bug-eyed looking at me he knows something's not right he knows that i'm he shouldn't be laying there but he can't move he's mm-hmm. he's paralyzed and he, all he can do is move his head and he's just thrashing his head around and i'm sitting over top of him and i set my bow on his chest and i'm like videotaping my bow like i have no blood on any arrows i have all my arrows in my quiver i did not kill this bull yeah like i didn't do this because i wanted to prove that right. i didn't like you know i'm not just here to <laughs> i'm not killing this bull and yeah, and I was yeah. like, I just got to have some evidence of this, and I thought it was pretty awesome, anyways. So this bull is still bugling 200 yards down there, but I'm like, it's the same bull that I chased for a half a mile, so I'm not going after him. So I ended up, I didn't know what to do. I'm you know three or four miles back in by myself, no cell service, but I can't let this meat rot. So I did what I thought was right. I didn't want to shoot this bull. I didn't want him to be, you know, killed like this. I wanted the bigger bull, but I was like, I got to not notch my tag and um, right. quarter him up, hang him in a tree. So that's what I did. I notched my tag, um, boned him out, hung him in a tree, uh, hung the horns in the tree right above him. I still had my camp down on the bottom. So hung all the meat in a tree to cool off for the night, went down, grabbed my camp, middle of the night, hiked my camp out up to my truck, stayed the night. 
the next morning I called a couple buddies. Also called the Montana Fish Wildlife uh, Fish and Game Officer, and the guy told me, he said, don't worry about it. It's illegal in Montana to possess naturally killed game, like the meat of okay. it. He told me, he said, don't worry about it. Go down there, cut the meat out of your bags, uh, take the horns, and I'll overnight a new elk tag to you. And I'm like, well, I can't do that. Is there any way that I can keep the meat or donate it or do something like that? He right, said, actually, rather we can than just let it go to waste. Yeah, and I, I knew there was wolves in the area, but I didn't. Mm-hmm. It, it, that was kind of at the beginning of really having an effect on wolves mm-hmm. or any impact from them. So I was like, I don't want to just feed a wolf right. for free. Right. You know, I was like, <laughs> if I can starve them, I will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's some folks out there that could use this meat a little bit more. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So four miles back in and I called a couple of my buddies that I didn't tell them how far it was because I knew they'd say no if I told them. <laughs> just off the road. Yeah. <laughs> So they ended up, they came and helped me uh, pack this thing out. We, uh, The fish and game officer had a, a guy from the Montana Food Bank meet me. We dropped all the meat off to him. I just signed a little waiver that I'm getting rid of the meat. And he overnighted a elk tag to me, and I was back hunting the next day. That's awesome. I mean, I, like I told you before, I don't know. I'd like to hope that most guys would do it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, go by the books and... Uh, you know, think of donating the meat and, you know, not just wasting it Yeah, for sure. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty, uh, pretty respectable to do it that way, how that worked out. And I was surprised that, um, because it died of natural causes that they weren't just going to say, well, take the meat and not your tag. Yeah. You know, what's the difference, right? Mm-hmm. But, uh, that kind of surprised me a little bit. I, I know. I mean, I'm, but it worked I, out. I, I'm, I'm happy about it because I still got to hunt and I still, I yep. ended up killing a, a bull about a week later. Yep. Yep. Now was it that bull, that big bull that no. had gotten away from you? No. No. no, no, I actually screwed up on that bull. I'm, I'm not a hundred percent positive, but I think that bull broke off a big chunk of the top of his antler. Cause I had a pretty nice six point that was all broken up, but it was almost dark and I couldn't really there was two bowls together. There was a the big six point that was broken up and there was a smaller five point. And I saw them on the hillside and I was doing some calling and they ended up both coming into the draw kind of, you know, 50 yards apart. They were kind of eyeballing each other as they were coming towards me. And one bowl came out in the timber. It was too dark to really see what he was. I could still see the hillside really good, but in that dark timber, I just couldn't tell. And I didn't shoot. And I'm like, I don't want that small five point. <laughs> right, right, right. I got a 50-50 shot, but... So I ended up not shooting and, uh, I mean, I'm not positive, but sure. it could have been that same bull that, that mm-hmm. killed the other bull. Cause he, I'm pretty sure he broke tines. I, I never really spent a whole lot of time looking for antlers on the ground. Right. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. That would have been, that would have been crazy if, uh, if you would have for sure went and stuck that bull that actually I killed know. the other bull. <laughs> if I would have done that, I would have, if he was broken up, I would have spent a day and went back there and walked back on that fight scene and looked for antler (laughs) yeah exactly oh yeah for sure that would have been a story but yeah yeah absolutely yeah man that's that's a cool story i love hearing that (laughs) that's one of my craziest (laughs) stories that's that's one that 
I don't think will ever happen again. And I've, I've honestly, I've never really heard. No, I mean, no, of no. Anybody else? I mean, they, they come together and, and fight. You hear those situations all mm-hmm. the time. I mean, it's pretty cool when you're up on a ridge and there's a big bowl below you, and you get to hear them. You know, like getting that cadence back and forth, and they get closer and closer, and they're scraping timber, and and then eventually you just start hearing them go mm-hmm. at it, and it's just clanking and clanking and clanking. But usually, you're right. I mean, usually they always separate and they go yep. their separate ways, yep. and they scream as they go the other way. But uh, no, I don't. I don't know that that happens very often. Where yeah. one bull ends up dying, because uh, yeah, usually, usually they got to be pretty similar in size to actually get to that point where that little bull. That uh, I mean, that's not a, not a little bull either. No. That was a that was a pretty good sized six point. But uh, the other one must have been a yeah whole lot heavier. And he got on the uphill side too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, uphill side. Got on the uphill side and just used that to his advantage. And you, could, you, I mean, you could tell where he pushed him downhill, right, until right. he rolled in the dirt and then pinned him up against some trees. Right, right, right. I made him really, really mad, and he ended up taking it out on the other six point. So it is your fault. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. That that poor bull. Got, I know he got whooped up because that of something you did. <laughs> poor guy. I know. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's funny. Um, you know, I. I, uh, I used to hunt Washington quite a bit, um, back in the early years. And then I kind of transitioned over to Idaho. And, uh, what brought me over here was, um, a guy that, uh, actually lived north of, uh, Coeur d'Alene up there and the guy's name was Dallas blood of all things. <laughs> and, uh, just, he, he was an old timer back then. And, and I ended up, I used to guide some of the Seahawks players out on some lakes and I'd take them out fishing and John freeze, who was, one of the better known quarterbacks back in the day for Idaho, right? Everybody knew who he mm-hmm. was. I had him out there. He was a quarterback for the Seahawks at the time. Um, and, uh, and we were out there fishing and he saw me flinging my bow, you know, I was, I was flinging arrows while they're out fishing and just shooting hay bales. And, and, uh, he came up to me and he said, Hey, you got to meet a buddy of mine. It's, it's this really cool down to earth old timer. He lives in Idaho. Um, guy's probably out there sharpening broadheads as we speak. He's that kind of guy, right? <laughs> One of those good old Idaho boys. And uh, I was like, well, hey, man, just bring him out here. You know, just bring him with you next time you come out. And, um, you know, I'd love to talk to the guy and just pick his brain. And this is back when, you know, was, I don't know if it was 20 years ago. It was quite a while back. And I was just really getting into the, the archery part of, of mm-hmm. elk hunting. And so I, I, uh, it brought, he ended up coming out. Um, we hit it off immediately. Uh, we, we talked elk hunting at that point. I was doing a lot of muzzleloader hunting, um, over, over here, but, uh, hadn't done a ton of archery yet. And so he invited me that September to go out and learn the ropes, learn his style. And he had a really cool style. It was, uh, it was all or nothing. It was pick a fight or nothing. No cow calling. <laughs> that was just, he was setting his ways. And, and I spent, and I didn't know the guy you know, when I showed up really, I'd had that one day out on the lake with him and, and, uh, he invited me into his house and I ended up staying at his house for three weeks that first year. Every day we'd go out and I would learn. I mean, I was just cutting that learning curve in half every day. Um, he, he taught me about the cadence of, of the elk and how they act. And we were watching videos and, you know, we were hunting the Northwoods and, um, man, it was so cool. It was just so many things that, um, he taught me and this guy was a billy goat. I mean, he was in his 60s, um, but he could go up any hill. He'd just do it all and mm-hmm. um, just really down to earth. Worked in the mill his whole life. His wife was a male lady. And uh, had, 
he brought me to some pretty cool places and he just, he taught me eventually, you know, a week and a half in or whatever. He's just like, you know, we'd hear a bull, you know, pitching bugles off a ridge and, um, and he would tell me, so how are you going to, how are you going to go after that bull? What would you do right here? You know, I'm going to step back and I'm going to see how you treat that bull. And so I'd be like, all right, well, I'm going to go right in there and go see if I can kill this bull. You know, I'd go screaming in the whole way, you know, throwing bugles at him the whole time. And of course, inevitably, you know, what do they do when you're pitching bugles at him the whole time walking in on them? They go the other way. <laughs> so, you know, and then, you know, I'd come back doing the walk of shame. I'd get back to him and I'd say, man, I just, he never turned. He never wanted to fight. And he's like, well, you were bugling the whole way. You walked straight at him. Um, what would you do? You got some pissed off bull coming in. And so he taught me all these little lessons that, um, that stuck with me. And, um, one of the interesting parts is when he taught me how kind of the cadence with elk, you know, first it's, first it's tones, you know, they size each other up with their tones and then mm-hmm. they kind of size each other up by with, with uh, scraping timber. And, um, we did a lot of raking back then, which back then, it, I don't know that it was as common as it is now. Um, but we did a lot of scraping timber, you know, you'd bloody your knuckles, just scraping timber. And sometimes we wouldn't even call it all. And that was just one of the things that he did that, that, uh, he found to be real successful. Um, mm-hmm. and then, you know, after you size each other up, he, he taught me to use nothing small. You know, if you're going after a herd bull, you know, the, the branches that you're picking up and you're scraping with, you want them to match the size of the antler of the bull that, that you're trying to play with. Right. And he taught me all these things. And then, um, you know, obviously those are the first two steps and then it was sizing each other up, you know, but with that visual and, um, just that little thing of, uh, you know, they always, they're going to want to come in uphill from you, you know, so don't try to get above them. They're going to want to be on the upside, mm-hmm. all these little things. And, um, that really, that really, uh, you know, if it wasn't for meeting a guy like that back in the day, he shaved so many years off and still, you know, obviously there's a lot of years where I was learning still more lessons, but, um, but it was a huge cut in the learning curve and, um, in Dallas, I mean, you don't get any more hardcore than a guy named Dallas blood, right? The yeah. blood, the blood family. And, <laughs> and so, and I remember that and, um, gosh, he, he's one of those guys that he had his system on how to, how to go after a bull. And it was always bugling. It was throat calling. It wasn't even going at him with uh, a reed or anything like that. It was using your throat and a tube. Um, mm-hmm. and his system worked, but he never cow called. So you, what's your system? I mean, what, are you pitching bugles? Are you picking fights? Are you cow calling sometimes? Are you kind of feeling them out and seeing like, is this bull reacting one day to this and running the other way? What, what kind of a system do you have when you attack a bull? I try to switch it up. I mean, like in the morning, if I, if I have a bull that bugles at a cow call, I give him cow calls. If I have a bull that only bugles at a bugle, I stick with the bugle. It seems like whatever they seem to like, I, 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 completely ditch whatever doesn't get him to bugle and I'll stick straight with right. straight with the bugle or if you know if he's pissed off at another bull I just keep the bugle going just mm-hmm. keep him pissed off as you're working in as on I'm it. working in on right it, yeah. I like to get him fired up but I will do a lot of I'll do a lot of calling from a ridgetop trying to get him fired up and if they don't get real fired up then there's some times where I'm like you know I, I don't really want to hit that bull today I'm going to go after a bull that seems more fired up yeah Yep. Yep. That was, that was one of the big things with Dallas yep. as well as 
there's going to be a day, you know, there's going to come a day here in the next few days, probably in the next week, especially middle of September, where that bull right there that you're listening to, who's not fired up, he's going to be fired up. Mm -hmm. And that'll be the day you go down and kill that bull. Yep. But if you go in there every day, eventually he's going to smell you and then he's going to mess it up. They're smart. They're not, (laughs) they don't live to, you know, seven, 10 years old, 12 years old to be stupid. Right, right, right. They remember it. Maybe the first, the first time in September, they forget about the human from last year. But after that first time, it's, it, it keys them into, okay, that's right. I got to, I got to survive here. So I try to minimize my, my dumb encounters with them where I do something stupid so if they're not, if I don't feel like they're really fired up and ready to go, or if the wind's somewhat close to being swirly, or, you know, if it's raining, or if the sun's coming up, or if the sun's going down, I always plan for stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Just knowing, trying to stack the odds in my favor, but also trying to, I know when to sit down, I know when to not go after a bull. Not every time, obviously, but right. I, I've learned the scenarios that I try to avoid where they can possibly smell me or see me or not like something, or even just going after a bull that isn't fired up. Right. Right. I I don't want to train them. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of folks make mistakes. Yeah. They hear any bugle, right? They hear a bugle and go straight down in on them. They're running at them. They're (laughs) like, Oh my God, it's no, I'm going to go, go try to kill that thing. And and they don't sit back and and think things through and, Mm -hmm. and maybe, uh, give themselves a few more days and maybe go look for another bull. Like you said, that's fired up. Uh, I think that's pretty, pretty important, pretty yeah. key. Yeah. Um, and, and again, there's so many, uh, there's so many guys now out chasing elk that are doing it that way. It's, it's made it a little bit tougher. Yeah. Every guy that drives the road, you know, on their four wheeler or their truck, they get out, they shut the door and yep. 10 seconds later they bugle and gosh, how many times <laughs> do you hear that? That's, and that's one of those things that I will always remember about Idaho. Um, is you hear that big old diesel Cummins engine bouncing it, bebopping down the road, and then sure enough, you hear it chirp off, and then uh, and then they get out, slam the door, and throw a bugle, pitch a bugle. Yeah. And, like, and you can you hear doing? them talking up on the road. Yeah, like... people don't understand how their voice carries. It's like, gosh, what are you guys doing? You're just educating all these bulls down here. And they're yeah. never going to – now they're just never going to uh, play the game. So mm-hmm. it's unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so any other, uh, any other advice like, uh, for guys just getting into elk hunting, um, you know, anything else that you've found that, uh, maybe guys want to pay attention to or, or try to avoid, um, you know, whether that be, uh, you know, working in on another hunter, um, that's working a bull or have you, have you seen any scenarios that, uh, you know, you'd like to kind of remind people, maybe, maybe don't do it this way. <laughs> Obviously if there's, I mean, there's been times where like, oh man, I got, this is the ridge we're going down and you get there and there's a truck there and it's like, I would recommend people don't follow another person down. I mean, I've left and just, I've found good areas because of days like that where right. I have planned to go down this ridge and, oh, there's a four wheeler there. Like, okay, I'll just go to the next one or go somewhere else. And kind of the respect aspect of. Yeah. If someone beats you there, I mean, they get it. I mean, that's how I look at it. It's like, you, yes, I had my entire day planned out yep. on that ridge in this spot. I have a bull picked out. I got pictures of them, sheds, whatever it is. But you get there and someone beats you. It's like, well, yep. you win. So <laughs> that That's huge. I mean, yeah. that, and unfortunately, that doesn't happen a lot. Yeah. Um, it's public land and we got yeah. to respect others. And Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Um, especially a lot of the young guys, they 
they get so jacked up. Maybe they've never killed a bull before. They just haven't had a lot of encounters. And they hear that thing, and, you know, they know somebody's down there. You can, you know, and they try to get in between them or, yeah. or nonsense like that. And, man, there's got to be more respect than that because yeah. uh, it happens quite a bit, unfortunately. Yeah. Guys will, you know, mess other guys up intentionally, maybe selfishly, for knowing that they're not going to get the bull. If I can't get the bull, they're not going to get the bull. Yeah. Things like that. Yeah. And the wind, too. That's another one that I don't care what scent elimination garbage you use it doesn't work it doesn't work even if you put everything in a bag you step out of the car your skin still smells like a human and they're still gonna smell you (laughs) still breathing right yep you're still breathing you got that smell i know it's funny guys will ask that question a lot like what do you do about scent control stay downwind yeah that's it Mm -hmm. that's all you can do yep um you know i don't think there's any spray (laughs) anything out there that's going to keep all your smell away yeah um it's just not staying downwind is, is definitely the number one thing. That's all you can do for sure. Yeah. I think it may be the difference between using that spray. You may get smelled at 500 yards instead of 600 or something, right. you know, vice versa. Yeah. I can, I can see, I can see an advantage to that. Say guys going in to check a cam at a water hole or they're, or they're going into their, their tree stand or something like that. And they spray themselves down and, you know, just to kind of keep that scent off the ground as they're hitting mm-hmm. their, their stand and going up. But yeah. when you're just out there running and gunning, like a lot of us do, um, trying to keep all that, that scent in check yeah. is almost pretty near impossible. Yeah. So. I gave up on that scent control stuff so a long time I. ago. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Long time ago. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So well, shoot. Yeah, this is, uh, this has been fun, man. I, I really enjoyed getting over here and, um, you know, finally getting to see your place here and see some of these antlers on the wall and, and hear the story of your year. Um, pretty dang incredible how it all panned out. Mm -hmm. You know, unfortunately, you know, with what you've dealt with this year with your father and, and him passing. And then, um, you know, I'm guessing that, that gave you a little bit more motivation to, uh, to really work hard this year and, and, uh, you know, prove, and you know show your respect through getting out there and working hard and Mm -hmm. doing everything that uh that he taught you growing up and pretty big accomplishment doing what you did yeah everyone with his bow three bulls um i'm looking at them right now man (laughs) they're just awesome they're jaw droppers so yeah congrats to that for sure yeah thank you i appreciate it absolutely i'm very blessed that's for sure yeah i'd say so even on a bad year like that where you know, you lose your best friend and dad. There's still so much to be thankful for. Absolutely. All right. Well, man, again, I really appreciate you sitting down and talking with me today, Ryan. And, Absolutely. Uh, and this was fun. And hopefully, hopefully somebody uh, gets a little something out of this. And, and um, you know, there's, there's, there's so many things. And, and what I admire about you is uh, you're living this lifestyle to where you've simplified everything. And that's kind of what that's what I've done. I want to simplify everything. And, and I see what, um, what I get about, you know, with like going out into the mountains and putting all this time in out there, you get all these cool stories and you get to see nature, you get to see all this stuff. And, um, I think we talked a little bit about, you know, how often you watch television, which is never. Yeah. <laughs> I have a TV, but I don't have cable. I'd... You'd rather be outside. Yep. yep. I don't yep. even have internet at my house. Yep. And, uh, that's, that's a testament to, uh, how passionate you are about getting out there. And, um, I think you just showed me a, an antler actually sitting right up there that you found what yesterday, a couple days, a couple ago, days yeah. ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's a stud. Yeah. <laughs> it's a stud. <laughs> so, um, he'd be a stud if he had 
decent eye guards. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the top <laughs> he's got is a, awesome. He's got I a mean, nice top. But he's he's coming right along. He's he's, he's got the there. stumpy eye guards. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. But uh, right on, man. Well, again, um, appreciate this, and, uh, and this was fun. And, and man, wish you luck this upcoming season, and see what you can do. I, are you going to be using that bow again this yeah. year? You are. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'll probably use it. For another few years at least, but For it's sure. definitely one that I'll never sell. For sure. Yeah. 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 Well, probably won't be seeing you in the elk woods. <laughs> You're pretty sneaky, but, uh, um, for sure we'll have to keep in touch. That's definitely the secret is being sneaky as far as not telling people stuff and yeah, not posting stuff we on. We should have talked about that. I it's know. It's like one of those things that, uh, we were actually talking about that a little bit is, um, you know, guys, you find a good spot. Um, usually it, it takes a lot of work to find a good spot. Yeah. Um, you and I both know that and you really want to be careful as far as who you're bringing into your spot. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you and I hunt solo quite a bit. Um, that's not for, I, I enjoy hunting solo just for a lot of factors. Yeah. Um, but when you fall into that trap of bringing new guys in every year, you busted your tail finding areas and, and, uh, you know, with all the traffic that the mountains get, um, you know, it, it, it's a lot of work. There's a lot of sweat equity gone into, there's a lot of research. There's just a lot of time. Um, so many hours put into finding a great spot, um, that to just willy nilly, like just tell everybody yeah. and post it up. Mm-hmm. That could be somebody's honey hole and they put on in all this time. Maybe you don't care and you're never going to hunt there again. But, uh, gosh, I, I really emphasize don't, just don't talk about spots. Let folks figure it out for themselves. Um, let them go through the, through the work and mm-hmm. let them put on the, uh, the miles and, uh, spend the gas money bebopping around and, and finding locations and hitting trailheads and, and hiking in and, and getting these areas and, um, and doing it themselves. And when you do find a spot, you feel way better about it. Um, I don't want people telling me spots. Yeah. I really don't. I don't either. Yep. I get so much more out of uh, figuring it out myself, and and um, it just it's just this is a different feeling. So uh, unfortunately, we have some some souls out there that uh, sure like to talk. Yeah. <laughs> and with social media the way it is now, I mean, social media's got its place and it's cool in a way. But uh, boy, some folks just haven't figured it out. <laughs> they, yeah. They like to keep asking that that age old question: Where Where'd you get it? where you know where are you hunting what counties may start with that may start with what mountain range or unit or or whatever yeah they they try to neck it down and Mm -hmm. it's just laughable and i think i told you um my classic answer and that's uh i just let them think that they're they're onto me Mm -hmm. right it's just uh don't tell anybody yeah (laughs) (laughs) and they may go away thinking oh my gosh cool well i got my spot figured out for next year and it may be a different story. Yeah. I, yeah. I just like people uh, figuring it out for themselves. So That's why I have about 10 areas that I like to go, though, because mm-hmm. you go to one area and it's like, well, this one's overrun by people now. So sure. Sure. having one single area, you know, you kind of feel dedicated to go in there if that's your only spot. So, mm-hmm. Yep. Right. And like you said, um, <clears throat> if there's somebody on that ridge and, uh, and you got to change plans, sometimes that's a blessing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. makes you go work and you find another little honey hole that you had no idea and you would have never figured out if somebody hadn't been there yep. that day. So yeah. it works out, usually works out in the end. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. 
All right, guys. So um, hope you enjoyed that. And uh, we'll let you get back to, uh, I'm sure you're probably going shed hunting. The sun, <laughs> sun came out. I don't see any snow and the grab's kind of melting off. But uh, yeah, great day to get out there and, and look up some shed. So, yeah. all right. Thanks, Thanks Ryan. A, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Yep. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening to the Hunt Harvest Health podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Visit our website at huntharvesthealth.com for more podcast stories and recipes. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Hunt Harvest Health. You can also message me at stahealthyhunter, that's S-T-H, and I will be more than happy to answer any questions you might have. Also tag your photos, Hunt Harvest Health, or Get Stealthy, as we enjoy seeing what you guys are doing as well.